It is great to be with you guys. I'm not Doug. Uh, my name is Lucas. I'm pinch hitting for Doug today, but I, and I love you guys. This is, this is a great church, and uh, it is really cool to be able to come and to share with you um, and to pop in from time to time. And I just want to encourage you guys, this is, um, this is truly a church family. Um, I get to work with a lot of different congregations, a lot of different churches uh, in the area here, and you guys uh, do a great job of loving each other, of being for each other, and, and working together as family. So if you're new here, I want you to know that's what you're getting into, uh, and it's good stuff. Um, uh, we've, got, we've got some good stuff to get to. Uh, like the intro video said, uh, you all are taking a year to walk through the book of Luke, and you're, you're looking at the life of Jesus. And man, uh, it's like Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. So when you begin to look at the life of Jesus, you begin to see the heart of an almighty creator, infinite God. They're one and the same. And so God takes on flesh. He comes to earth he comes to walk and be with us. So everything that you see in, in these Jesus stories in the next year, that's who God is. And we've got nine verses that we're looking at today, and it's just nine, but they are packed. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Pray with me. God, we know that you truly are powerful. You're beyond us. You're beyond our comprehension. We are weak, we are small, we are powerless, and so many times we try to, to move in our lives without you. I pray today we would not do that. I pray today that we would learn once again how to depend on you, how to, to draw from your power that you would begin healing us as individuals, as community, as a city. Jesus, we need you, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to do this uh, just verse by verse today. So uh, it should come up on the screen, but if you want to pull up a, a old school, this is what we call a, a Bible, uh, uh, or you've got a phone maybe that you can do it, or Google it or something, but five Chapter 5, verse 17 is where we're going to start. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. And there's some things that we're going to learn about Jesus this morning. There's some things that we're going to be reminded. And I would say there's, as we're reading these nine verses, there's probably five things we're going to recognize about Jesus. The first is that he can draw a crowd. And we've seen this in the chapter before, but the crowds are starting to get larger and larger. And you're going to hear the word amazed a lot. The people are amazed at his teaching. They, they're talking to each other and they're saying, where does he get this kind of authority? And in the previous chapters, uh, Jesus has the ability to speak, and demons are just flying out of people. It's, it's amazing. And, and the people are saying, the crowds are saying, like, isn't this the son of Joseph? Who is this guy? Who is this, 
Jesus, where did, he, where did he get this kind of power? And they're amazed. And the crowds are growing larger and larger. This is not a holy day um, that we're reading in chapter 5 here. It's not a Sabbath. It's just a normal day at a normal house. And yet, people are coming from towns all over the region to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to listen to what this man would say. But not everyone is in awe. Some are sitting off to the side with their arms crossed. It says, uh, if you look here, these Pharisees, they're, they're spectators. Uh, I like what a commentator says. He said, they were sitting by his feet, not sitting at his feet. They are there to learn of him, not learn from him. And this needs to preach to us, guys. Because it is possible to be a part of the crowd and to not be a part of what Jesus is doing. It is possible for us to be a part of the crowd and to not be a disciple of Jesus. To be doing all the stuff, to be singing the songs and and saying the prayers, but for it to have no impact on our life because we don't actually know him. And it's possible. And so what, what I want to challenge us on is to sit at his feet, not just by his feet. And this is my story. Um, this is my testimony uh, because I'm a recovering Pharisee. Uh, Jesus has saved me and is saving me from being a good church boy. Uh, and and I, I don't know about you, but the church I grew up in, I would hear testimonies of men and women who, who had been saved, who had had a spiritual encounter with Jesus. And a lot of times, it was guys that would get up and, and maybe they, they were addicted to something, you know, and, and they would have tattoos and they would look pretty rough from their past life. And, uh, and then they would talk about how Jesus is changing them and shaping them and transforming them and they're, they're heading into this new life. And I always heard those stories and and thought to myself, yeah, man, I I don't know that I'm that bad. (laughs) I don't know that, uh, you know, I don't have a teardrop tattoo. I don't have a lower back tattoo with a dolphin jumping through a hoop of fire or anything like that. That's a thing. That that was a thing at some point. Tim knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh. And so, so for, for most of my childhood, all the way up into my teen years, I would hear these stories and hear these testimonies and disconnect myself because I was a good church boy. I was a Pharisee. And then when I encountered Jesus, I realized that I needed to be saved of one of the most dangerous pathways out there being someone who would consistently hear the good news but never truly listen. Sitting, sitting in, in the crowd but never being with Jesus. Sitting by his feet, not at his feet. That's my story. And I, I want to share uh, even this first verse to say, man, we can't just be spectators. We need to be worshipers. As you read through Luke, you're going to notice how Jesus responds to the crowds. And I really, I really love this. Jesus doesn't chase after crowds. And so this is the beginning of his ministry. But at the end of his ministry, you'll remember, he's, he's essentially alone. But it doesn't phase him. 
He's not chasing after the crowds. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't operate using the basic laws of leadership. He doesn't understand like, things like momentum. In fact, he's a bad businessman. <laughs> he does everything you're not supposed to. When the crowds are, are closest to him, he'll, he'll leave and go pray. He's not getting his identity from this popularity contest. He's about something that's much more important. His purpose is much deeper. It's to come and bring life, whether we would support it or not. So verse 18 says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. This is one of my favorite sections in the entire Bible, you guys. And it's, it's something that we're going to learn about Jesus. Jesus is worth it, okay? Did you, did you see this? When you catch a glimpse of Jesus, you're going to push past crowds. You will ignore all obstacles in your way. You'll set aside all cost, set aside your reputation, climb to the top of a roof, and dig through it. Because that's how good Jesus is. Worship is getting drenched with God. It's soaking him up. It's looking for him in everything, whether it be big or small. And so if you have not encountered Jesus, this kind of Jesus, the kind of Jesus that is worthy of wrecking the roof, man, I, I would really encourage you. It's a game changer. I like what David Platt says. If you guys get a chance to YouTube David Platt, um, he looks like a 16-year-old boy. Uh, and he's, all, he's very passionate when he talks, but he always sounds like he's getting ready to cry. Um, but he says this, and this is good stuff. He says, We must not reduce this Jesus to a poor, puny Savior who is just begging for people to accept him into their hearts as if Jesus needed to be accepted by us. He doesn't need your acceptance. He doesn't need my acceptance. He doesn't need any of our acceptance. He's infinitely worthy of all glory in all the universe and doesn't need us at all. We need him. We desperately need him. Jesus is worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. We need him. He's worth it. And when you encounter this Jesus, when you get a glimpse of him, you'll set aside anything, you, anything else you are chasing. When you turn your eyes to Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. This week, um, uh, I got asked uh, at Lindenwood University to come and speak for their Black History Month, because, obviously, uh, that's a, that's a joke. Please, don't kill me. Uh, Lenny Barber also joined me, so he was, he was holding down the fort for, uh, for black guys. Uh, and so it was, it was he and I, and we, uh, it actually did not go uh, well. Um, it wasn't bad as far as presentation goes, and we had a good time doing it. Um, but we were talking about the slow work of revitalizing St. Louis. It was the topic, and we were telling what we do at Love the Lou. And it's a, it's a non-Christian audience. It's a group of, of college students and, and then community members who uh, are mostly from the county, 
most, mostly from uh, a, a Lindenwood background, uh, business background, and, and there we are sharing about what we're doing. And so uh, here's, here's the parts that were troubling. Um, this is kind of a confession to me, for, for me. Uh, so normally whenever I, whenever I get to talk to like, uh, you know, like uh, city councils or anything like this, where it's very much a, a broad audience, I'll, I'll kind of mention Jesus, but not try to be too preachy. Because I try not to, you know, Jesus is like, he's divisive. And if you, if you start getting too preachy, uh, you'll lose everybody pretty quick. And so I try to be salty with my language and so I did this, and, I, and so I kind of said, yeah, Jesus has changed my life, and so this is what we're doing, and that was it. So I, I, I had Jesus at the beginning as this footnote to why we would do what we would do, but it was an afterthought. It was just yada, 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 Jesus kind of thing. And then we talked about, you know, how we were trying to listen to neighbors, how we're moving in intentionally, and, and how we've got guys like Andy Bell who will take their skills, take their entire weekend, pour into these neighborhood kids, start up skill center, and small engines are starting, and coding is starting, and you know, people are sacrificing, and they're doing these, these really cool, amazing acts of love. And we finished. And the very first question that came in the Q&A was, why? <laughs> why, why, why would... We had invited them in, why, but why would... Someone be compelled to join. And I realized, guys, I just yada, yada, yada over Jesus. I just, like, left out the best part and then talked about what we're doing in our flesh. Why would anybody without Jesus ever give up their weekend, spend the gas money, go into a neighborhood that might be dangerous, why would anybody want to do that? How does that even make a difference? That's only changing one life. That doesn't change three million lives. That doesn't change the city. This is foolishness. Yes, it is. Unless you understand Jesus. You guys, when we get a glimpse of Jesus, you'll set aside your reputation You'll set aside whatever the crowd is doing. You'll push through them. You'll climb up onto the roof. You'll dig through to get more of him. That's what these friends did. 1 Corinthians 15 says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then eat, drink, and be merry. And I, I, I want to encourage you. This is just a freebie. I, I didn't even, like this isn't written down, all right? But, but for real, like this is really important. In 1 Corinthians 15, there are some, some really important verses that help us address the culture right now. And so, if you plan on living for the next 20, 30 years, most of us, right? Uh, I would strongly encourage you to memorize 1 Corinthians 15, or at least highlight that uh, to the point where you're, it's completely washed over. I mean, this, this passage, it basically says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then do whatever you want. And right now, like, I see a lot of pastors, I see a lot of people in churches talking about the changing tides of culture. 
And there's a lot of people that are scared and a lot of people freaking out by some of the legislation that's happening and all the stuff that's happening in the world around them. But when you read 1 Corinthians 15, it actually is like, yeah, I mean, if you don't have Jesus, then you should marry whoever you want. You should drink as much as you want. You should smoke whatever you want. You should do whatever you want because this is as good as it's going to get. But if there is a resurrection of the dead, if Jesus, if this stuff is really true and not just a story in a book, it changes everything. And it's not something that the crowds are going to like for a long time. It'll actually be foolishness to most. And I'm saying that is good news because some of you have been tracking and you're like, man, this is hard. I just need some endurance. I, I, I struggle with worrying about all of it. I said, no. Take heart. Rest in the fact that his work is sufficient. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. It says in verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Take a look at that sentence. What jumps out at you? It's a couple things. Yeah, what, what jumps out at you there? Friend? Say what? Sin? Forgiven? Look, look at this second word. Jesus sees their faith. They didn't have a, a Jesus shirt on that said, we're a fan of you. But he saw their faith. He didn't hear it. Even though we can proclaim it, and we're proclaiming Jesus, but he sees their faith. It's an action. It's not passive. It's not a, uh, just a good attitude that we would have. Went to church today. That felt good. You know, that whole good church boy vibe. Knowing when to stand up and sit down. No, it's, a, it's an action. A visible action, something that can be seen. This is also one of the few times where Jesus forgives somebody based on the faith of another. Did you catch that? He sees their faith. Not the man who's, who's in front of him who's crippled. He sees their faith. The guys who carried the man. Guys, this is, hopefully this is encouraging for you because I know a lot of people who are crippled physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all of it. They're struggling through life. And I don't know that they have the wherewithal to get to Jesus. And I desperately want it because these are people that are close to me. Your prayers are not hitting a ceiling when you pray for them. God hears it. God answers it. He sees the friend's faith for the friend. It's okay to pray for a lost brother. Somebody who's destroying their life and destroying the lives of all those that, that they come in contact with. It's not only okay to pray for them, it's encouraged to prayerfully chase them down. And Jesus isn't just looking at where they're at with their faith, he's looking at your faith as well. Are you praying for someone sick? Are you agonizing over someone else? Not in a judgmental way, but in a way where you know if they can get before the Savior of the world, his power can change everything. 
The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this is verse 21. Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and already he has opposition. Spoiler alert, uh, this is not going to be the last time. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Let me ask that question to you guys. I want to hear what you're thinking on this. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Which is easier? Okay, I heard both. So let's start with, who, uh, who would say, uh, let's start with walk. Who would say, uh, that's easier to say, get up and walk? Why is that easier? Okay. Now, this man has been crippled from birth. Okay. Who would say that, that, that uh, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven? Okay, why, why would we say that? No evidence. And Jesus doesn't answer the question, right? He's just throwing this out. This is rhetorical. If you say that, you got to back it up, don't you? So, yeah, if, you, if, I, if I say your sins are forgiven, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. Let me, let me flip this question around. Which is easier for us right here today to hear? What's easier for you personally to hear as an individual? And let me just say, I think the same is true. I think it's easy for us to hear that my sins are forgiven. We hear it all the time, right? Almost every single sermon is your sins are forgiven. It's this, it's this almost, you know, this abstract thought. It's not specific. We don't see the action. We hear it all the time, and therefore it almost becomes cliche. I'm going to say your sins are forgiven. You're going to leave, and you're like, yeah, that was a good thought. But what's harder to do is to forgive some, like, if you start thinking about your sin, it'd be better to be paralyzed physically than to experience some of the sin that, that has either been put on us or that we've done to others. I, I led a prayer walk yesterday of middle schoolers around my neighborhood. So about 20 middle schoolers come down and they worked... Uh, uh, and then we, then we walked around and prayed. And, uh, and I gave them this, this question, like, which is easier to say, pick up your mat, you know, we, we talked about this verse, uh, or your sins are forgiven. And there's a girl that was standing in the front, and she had her arms crossed. And, like, this is, like, perfect middle school vibe just coming straight from her. And she kind of raises her hand. She's got her hip out, ponytail in, total middle school attitude. Like, I can't even do it justice. I'm not even going to try. But she was amazing at it. And she goes, rolls her eyes. It's Jesus. So he does both really well. <laughs> Which is correct. We, 
Now, the attitude I could have done a little less of, you know, but man, she was right on. When, when it comes to Jesus, he, he's able to do both really well, right? <laughs> Verse 24 says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Learn two things right here. Jesus has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to heal. He's good at doing both. This Jesus has the power to, to raise a man, a crippled man, from, crippled from birth, and not only that, but to forgive his sins. This man doesn't have to go to the temple and, and, and do sacrifices. He doesn't have to offer burnt offerings. He doesn't have to, to wash himself, to make himself uh, pure and clean. Jesus forgave his sins. Jesus healed him. And he praises him. I love, I love this story. And this is a very important story for us because Jesus has the ability to do both really well. He does the physical and he does the spiritual and he's concerned about both. I've got kids in my neighborhood who don't have beds. And, and I've told this story before, but, but I was doing a Bible study very early on, like, like nine or ten years ago. And I was rocking it in my mind, you know. I was giving them Jesus, you know, and... And I had a kid come up to me afterwards and said, can I have a pillow? Because he couldn't hear Jesus until he had a good night's sleep. Do you understand how the physical and the spiritual go hand in hand? How much, how much greater is this miracle that Jesus is doing here? Can you imagine? I've got a friend, Chris Worth, who, who has been crippled since birth. He's got cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair most of his life. If I brought him in here, if I brought him to Jesus, and Jesus said, yeah, your sins are forgiven, and this day and age, yeah, 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 yeah. But I really want you to heal him. Can you imagine if we saw more miraculous signs, how much our, our faith would be strengthened? I had a point, um, and I don't know where you're at. Like, I, I'm, I would consider myself charismatic with the seatbelt, okay? So... Uh, uh, I like to keep it safe, but at the same time, he's God. He can do whatever he wants, right? He's still very much alive and active. In, in 2016, for our ministry down in the city, it was a really hard year. We had a lot of violent action. There was a lot of gang activity that had built up. It was really hard. And, and a lot of you know, I've got four kids. I'm a white guy living in a black neighborhood, and it's, it was a really, really tough time. And I had a lot of questions for God. I was questioning my calling. And one of my biggest fears is that somehow I would, I would lead my family into something that they, that they wouldn't be able to recover from. That they would endure something so traumatic or something so terrible. And that it would be my fault to, to lead them down in that. And so I was wrestling with God on this. Like, God... Is this really, like, is this just me, or do you really want me down here? Could I just live somewhere else and drive in, or like, how, is there another way? 
and wrestling with that calling. It was a Sunday night, and, and I've, I've shared this with some of you, but it was a Sunday night. We were packing up to go to a church on Sunday night and got in the car. We're driving down Enright, and, and ahead of me, there were two cars coming at full speed, and it was a rolling gun battle where the guys get up on the side of the car, and they're just shooting at each other. It's coming straight at me. I've got four kids in the back of the car, and it's me and my wife, and we're there, and it's intense. It's chaotic. It's loud. It's scary. It's all of those things. And, and your, your heart starts, I mean, the adrenaline kicks in, and it's just, you're, you're freaking out. And so I stood, I, we just stayed where we were. They passed. And you can see bullets, like, going up into, and our, our houses are kind of raised. So they're not hitting the houses, but they're hitting the dirt, like there. And they go past, and I drive down, and I cut down uh, Sarah Street, and I come to the stoplight, and those guys turn around, do a Yui, and go back. It's a chaotic, crazy, traumatic event. And they're gone, and you can hear them go down Vandeventer, they go up north, and, and I just stay there, and I'm shaking, and I look over at my wife, are you okay? She was all right. I look in the rearview mirror, and I look at my kids, and I'm like, are you guys okay? And they look at me, and they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, can you tell me what you saw? Can you, can you tell me what you heard? And they were confused. They're like, what? what are you talking about? And I said, no, what just happened? Like, what did you see? What did you hear? And they said, what, what just happened? And guys, I, I followed up with them since. And I don't know how to explain this, but this is my experience that in that moment of crazy doubt, God as a good father surrounded, and I don't know if he had guardian angels, I don't know how he did it, but he surrounded our van in such a way that my kids didn't experience anything, any sort of trauma that happened on the street that day. They didn't see it, they didn't hear it, they didn't know about it. Only by the grace of Jesus, only by, by the way that God can work, is that possible. I can tell you, I've had doubts like, about my calling since then. But I, I, that's, a, that's a marker in my life that I'll never forget because I experienced something physical that I wasn't even asking for. I experienced God moving in a really powerful way. And I'm holding on to that to say, well, if he can do that, he can forgive my sin. I, I was, uh, I, and I know each one of us has, has our own stories and stuff, but, but some, of, some of my stories, like over the last three years, my parents separated uh, and divorced. And so, like, I, I had never known any kind of that, that kind of pain. They had always been like this perfect Christian couple. And then a bunch of stuff came out. And, uh, and so it, that caused a lot of new doubt that I had never experienced in my life. And I began questioning whether I was going to become just like them. And once again, I go back into those stories of Jesus where I know that if Jesus can take care of me physically and provide for me physically, that I know he can heal my heart 
of the wounds of divorce, of the bullets that might be flying on our street, the traumas that I might have gone through as a kid, the, the sins that I might have committed. I know that he can do that. And guys, honestly, those, those things that aren't seen are much harder. They're much harder. Because those are the ones that, that I've held on to for years and years, decades. Some of us are walking around, we're carrying guilt, shame, and sin. You're carrying it. Not crippled physically, but spiritually crippled. And that matters. It matters to Jesus. I know in church, we, we try to make a big deal out of sin and God's forgiveness out of sin to the point where it becomes cliche. But I'm saying, please don't allow it to become cliche. When I say that Jesus has the power to heal you, spiritually. That's a big deal. Some of us have been lying to ourselves. There's news stories that are coming out of men that I've respected that, that have been living this lie for their entire life, seemingly, or at least years and years, decades. Lying to ourselves. Sin has taken root. It blinds us. First John says that to walk in sin is to walk in darkness. It's a big deal. It destroys our lives and, and then the lives of everyone around us. Some of us have been showing up to the group for years, but we're just faking it. We're just hypocrites. And we know that we don't know. And our doubts have consumed us. And every time we hear the word Jesus, we're petrified that we might be found out. Petrified that we might be exposed for who we are. But let me tell you, that touch that Jesus gives us, physical, spiritual, is healing. It's a healing touch. And it's actually good news to, to, to walk from darkness into light. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what it's looked like for me. And I know that it's still this process of being a recovering Pharisee to going from just the spectator in the group with the arms crossed. And that was really good. Nice. Good song. Yeah. Everything just being good. To it being filled with awe, terror, and, and, and the love of an almighty creator God. That's verse 26. It says, Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Jesus is worth it. I wrote this down as the, the fifth thing that we learn about Jesus because it's almost a cycle of what's happening where, where we have the faith to push through. Then Jesus shows up in power. We praise him. It builds our faith. And then we're pushing through, and Jesus shows up, and it builds our faith. So there's a passage in, in Revelation, and I'll ask Phil to come forward. There's a passage in Revelation that I love, where, where there are these angelic beings circling the throne, and they're saying, you're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. 
And then they're saying, and they're calling back and forth without ever stopping. Right now, this is happening in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never stop. And they just continually talk about how worthy this God is. If we could get a glimpse of that, you guys, here on earth, it would radically change our lives. He's holy, holy, holy. He's set apart from everything. There is nothing as good as him. One day, one day we'll see that vision where there's angels flying around and saying this over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We, it's like looking at a foggy mirror right now. Sometimes we can kind of see it, but one day we will see it perfectly. I want to encourage you, live now like it's heaven on earth. Meet Jesus now, right here, like he were right here in your midst because he is and he's real. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are powerful. And even when we don't know the right things to say or the right actions, uh, you know it for us. God, I'm praying today that you would move in power, that we would be able to choose you. You have chosen us. You have chased us down. God, I, I just keep thinking of that imagery of darkness into light. So if there's anybody here that, that needs to step into light, God, I pray that, you know, we don't have anything formalized, but I pray that that would happen today without it even being formalized, God. That we would be a, a people who are constantly seeking your face, being healed by you. Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. We pray this in your name. Amen.